welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Ryan Carson, the founder and CEO of Treehouse, an online school that teaches beginners how to code and do UX design. In 2004, Ryan organized and sold tickets for a one-day workshop in London where he taught people how to code. The event went so well that he decided to run more workshops. Eventually, his idea for doing a one-day workshop turned into a full-time in-person training company, and he ran that business for about six years. During that time, he created a blog to help web designers and developers, and as he built an audience, the blog became a marketing channel for his in-person training workshops. In 2010, Ryan started looking for a better way to create training that was affordable, scalable, and accessible. And his wife gave him the idea to start teaching people online instead. So he took some money from the events business to hire a freelance web developer and recruited his best friend, who was a web designer, to bootstrap his business for as little money as possible. The blog that he'd been working on for years helped him find his first online customers. Today, Treehouse does tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And despite an extremely competitive and crowded market, their business growth is continuing to skyrocket. This is a great story about a former developer who's bootstrapped an eight-figure business. But what's even more interesting is how he's done that. Instead of creating lots of content, he's focused on a smaller number of courses and really been maniacal about the quality of each one. And he's grown the business by doing the right thing for his customers, even if that meant him losing revenue in the short term. And we talk about a great example of that in this interview. So I really hope you enjoy listening to it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So do you have a quote to share with us, something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed? Yeah, I do. And it's been something I've uh, kind of held to since I was, you know, five. And it's a quote from Jesus. And it is, uh, treat other people like you want to be treated. Love it. Simple. (laughs) And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means to you in terms of the way you you run the business and things that you've been doing. So let, let's sort of jump into that. And before we we sort of talk about how you got started, for people who aren't familiar, can you just tell us, you know, what is Treehouse? Who's your target customer? And what's the big problem that you're helping to solve? You bet. So Treehouse is an online school that teaches beginners how to code and how to do UX design. Uh, We've been going for over 10 years and we've taught 650,000 adult students over that time. And we have two really great products. One is a $25 or $49 a month product that gives you access to all of our library and our tracks. And the other is called Tech Degree which is all that plus projects that are real world projects that are graded, a Slack channel for support, and a certificate at the end. We also help businesses with a product called Teams, where they can buy those accounts for their teams to help them reskill. 
All right, good. So, you know, I've wanted to do this interview for a long, long time. And for people who are listening, we actually tried to do this a few months ago and had all kinds of technical issues. So <laughs> hopefully this time around, it's going to be better. But I want to kind of start the story from, you know, before even Treehouse, when the product was, I guess, like Think Vitamin, right? Yeah. So how did you get started? Where did the idea come from? Why did you decide to start building that business? So I had the idea for Treehouse when I got my first job as a software developer. So I got a computer science degree from a kind of standard university in America. And then I got my first job. And I remember, you know, during the interview, they said, well, we code in cold fusion. And I said, I, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and they said, it doesn't matter. You know, read a book. And I thought, what? This system is totally broken. You know, why did I go to school for four years? And, and what is happening here? And so I just decided to build a better school. Uh, one that was online, one that was effective, one that was affordable. And we launched Treehouse in 2010 because of that. And we've taught over 650,000 people now. And I love my job. It's, it's so much fun. Okay, great. So you decided to build a school, but how did you get started? Well, I never studied business. Uh, I never <laughs> you know, studied finance. I just kind of went off my gut. And it all started out originally as a in-person training company. So we actually started teaching people how to code um, during these one-day workshops in person, uh, actually in London, because I had moved to England and, and married a, a wonderful British person. And, and so we started teaching people during these one-day workshops, and they started selling out. And we thought, gosh, this, this seems to be working. You know, let's do more of these workshops. So we started doing more and more, and it turned into an events, you know, in-person training company. And we did that for years. So from, I think it was 2004 or five, all the way to 2011. And that kind of gave me the idea then for the online school, because near the end of that time period, it was about 2010. I just thought there's got to be a better way to do this, something that's affordable and scalable and accessible. And my wife said, well, why don't we just teach people online? And so I said, that's genius. Let's do that. So uh, we just bootstrapped and, and launched it. And, and then uh, here we are today. So when you started out with these events, what were you teaching people? And sort of how were you getting them to these events? Like typically, how big would a live event be? So the very first events were about 20 to 25 people. And this was literally before social media, right? So what we did is we went to websites that had traffic that we knew was similar to who we were trying to sell to. I had already built relationships with a lot of those because I had been doing a, a passion project called By Designers for Designers, which was a meetup. It was a simple meetup for web designers and web developers to get together in person and just share stories and have a drink and, and meet each other. And because of that, all the, the important websites that were for web design and web development knew about me and respected me. So I basically went to them and said, Hey, would you post on your website, you know, that we that were going to do a training workshop? I also emailed everybody I knew and boom, you know, we had our first workshop and it it actually sold out, which was shocking to me. You know, we charged, I think it was something like 250 pounds uh, per ticket. You know, it's about 
you know, 300 bucks in US dollars. So that was kind of shocking that people actually would pay for this and, and attend. And, and then at the end of the day, they said, we love it. So we just kind of kept going with that. And then eventually we started doing conferences, uh, which got very large. We ended up doing, a, I think it was a 2000 person conference in London. Mark Zuckerberg spoke at it. And that was kind of the height of our conference business. So it, it really spanned the range. Well, and, and then you did that for about, I think you said seven years. Yep. And then you, you launched it online. And initially when you, when you sort of took the business online, was this bootstrapped or did you go out and raise money? It was bootstrapped. So we basically used a little bit of cash flow from the events business to hire a web developer freelance. One of my best friends was the designer and it was, you know, we bootstrapped it for as cheap as we could. And then the key is that we had set up a blog called thinkvitamin.com to be a resource for web designers and web developers. And we had been working on that for years. It was essentially the marketing machine for our in-person events business. And so, you know, what we did is we told that entire audience about this new venture and we called it think vitamin membership so it wasn't called treehouse in the beginning the idea was let's layer it on top of the website so that people would trust the brand and i tweeted out hey i'm looking for two teachers one designer one developer and uh, nick pettit and jim hoskins tweeted back and said hey that's us you know we're good on camera we're passionate about teaching and they were our first two teachers and, and they were located in orlando I was in Bath, England, and so we created a remote company. And uh, what actually happened, which was interesting, this was all owned by Carsonified, which was my company back then. And we actually decided to sell off the, the events business, the in-person events business, and focus just on Think Vitamin membership. So I went out and hired a banker to help me find a buyer, and we, we had a, a media company in Boston end up acquiring the events company. And we separated out the online training company and we just moved forward that way. And we were bootstrapped for a while and, and we were just growing like a rocket ship. It was, it was great. And so most of your customers were coming from the audience that you'd already built with the Think Vitamin blog? Exactly. Yep. We had built up a very large audience and an email newsletter and a good network of friends that, you know, trusted us and, and liked us and would, would spread the word. Do you remember what the first course was that you published? It was probably something very simple on HTML and CSS on the front end. And probably, I think the first backend language we taught was either Ruby or JavaScript, possibly. I mean, JavaScript wasn't a backend language back then, but I think, I think it was Ruby was the first backend language we taught. I uh, remember you from, I, I guess it must have been around 2011 or so. I actually signed up for uh, thinkvitamin.com, the, the membership. Thank you. And <laughs> well, don't thank me because it was like, I, I, actually, I, I actually didn't stick around. And I think it was just because like, there wasn't like a ton of stuff there at the time. I must have been pretty early. Yeah. Yep. And so I... I kind of sent an email. I just sort of said, Hey, you know, can, can you kind of cancel the subscription and got an email back saying, yeah, it's done. 
And then about a year later, I looked on my credit card statement and there was like 11 months of charges, but it wasn't Think Vitamin. It was like Treehouse. I was like, what the, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. And then I sort of figured out, I was like, oh man, it's just like something must have happened. Like, you know, when you guys transitioned over or something. And so I emailed support and, you know, somebody got back to me, like, I think the same day saying, you know, sorry about that. You know, here's like 11 months and we've refunded everything. But then I also got an email from you. Oh. And you were like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, we're going to take care of this. And I'm really sorry this happened. I feel terrible about it. And that always stuck with me. I always, always remember that because, you know, the support team had already taken care of it. You didn't have to send that email. And we, had, we kind of had a brief exchange, but you did. And, and I think for me, it kind of goes back to the quote that you, you sort of shared earlier, which is about, I think, the sort of the sense that I got the kind of person that you are and the way you want to treat people. So even though I didn't stick around as a customer, I had a very positive experience of, you know, Think Vitamin at the time. And and that sort of also kind of explains like wow. when I said at the beginning, like I've I wanted to have this conversation for a long time. I've really wanted to have this conversation for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> for for yeah, what is that, nine years yeah. now? <laughs> But I I appreciate you sharing that story. And it means a lot to me because I think it's very important that we do the right thing as leaders and and business owners. You know, eventually it's going to somehow come back and and help you. But it's important we do the right thing because it's the right thing. You know, we did one time we made a choice that hurt us financially. That was hard to make. We have the ability for students to pause their accounts. So you can, anytime you get busy or, or you just want to break, you go in and pause your account. And initially we had it auto unpause at a, either a one, two or three month point. You could choose one, two or three months, but you had to choose one of them. And, you know, we just got, we regularly got angry emails when uh, the account would auto unpause. People just said, this is so annoying. Like I keep having to go in and repause my account. Like, why don't you just let me pause it indefinitely? And, you know, financially, it was great for us that it would auto unpause. And we just sat down as a team and said, we got to change this. This just isn't right. This is annoying to our customers and it's the wrong thing to do. Let's stop it. And so we removed the auto unpause and we immediately took a 5% hit in revenue. And it was brutal, but it was the right thing to do. And now, you know, that kind of goodwill and and doing the right thing has led to an MPS that's just off the charts. So uh, we are measuring our MPS every week and we just hit 84 on one of our products. Wow. So it's one of these things that you got to do the right thing. You got to take care of your customers first. It'll come back, but you got to do the right thing. I wonder how many SaaS companies or anybody with a recurring revenue business would be okay saying, let's do that, or uh, let's let's let people pause indefinitely. It's kind of really counterintuitive. It's a really, seems like a really risky thing to do. And I think many people would say, you can't build a sizable recurring revenue business if you do something like that. Agreed. Yeah. You got to do the right thing. But I think you're the exception to the rule, right? Yeah. And and so, I mean, I know you don't talk specifically about revenue, but you know, give us a sense of like how big the business is right now. So we're tens of millions in revenue. 
and our team size is is 51. So we're also distributed. So we work from home and it's been a, a really fun ride. I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, but I've learned a lot about how to manage um, a company well and manage people well. And we're going to talk about trust in the, uh, later in the interview. So Great. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, you, you have built a sizable business and you did that doing something which was probably a difficult or a scary decision to make at the time. But I think it kind of goes back to trying to do the right thing. And, and it just, it, sometimes it just takes courage to do that. So let's talk about like, okay, so you, you kind of launched Think Vitamin. How big did that grow? And then what was the sort of the reason to sort of rebrand it as Treehouse? It was actually a podcast that caused me to rebrand. So I was listening. I've been a big fan of uh, This Week in Startups forever. You know, and uh, Jason has done something like, I don't know, a thousand episodes or, or something bonkers. <laughs> and I was listening to one of his podcasts as I was, I think I was sanding some wood in the backyard or something. And he said, does your brand name pass the, I think called the bar test. And he said, the bar test is, you know, imagine that you're in a loud bar and you lean over to the person next to you and you say your company name, you know, will they understand it? <laughs> so, you know, I, I imagine myself leaning over in a bar and saying to someone, think vitamin membership. <laughs> and I, I just laughed out loud, you know, because I thought, well, it's ridiculous. So I thought we have to change our name. And I went inside and, and I said, hey, Jill, who's my wife? I said, I, I think we have a problem. You know, we, we have to change our name. And she said, well, let's, let's, you know, sit down and think of some ideas. And she was a senior editor at a, at a large, one of the largest publishers in, in England. And she used this method called, I think it's called thought bubbling and you basically start off with an idea and you draw lines out from it and then you draw bubbles around that that are attached to that idea. And we just started doing that and um, she thought of the word treehouse. And, um, you know, I thought surely something's called treehouse. It's just a popular name. So we Googled and nothing was, was called treehouse. And um, we uh, thought, well, this is the perfect name because it, it kind of instills a thought of wonder and, and creativity and, and fun. And, and it just was the perfect name. So we went and tried to get treehouse.com, but a company that owned that had owned it for years and they wanted a million dollars. And uh, we said, <laughs> we don't have a million dollars. So, so we went with teamtreehouse.com, which is funny because th people actually think our name is Team Treehouse now, which is kind of fun. Um, but w whatever, it worked. So it took, I'm just kind of going to play this through. So it's just like it to get your online business and you kind of your first hundred customers probably took seven or eight years in terms of the work you did with the live events, with the blog, building the audience. It wasn't just, you know, you were starting cold, launching a site, and suddenly you were attracting all of these customers. You know, it was, it was a lot of work. And uh, it, this is a theme across all of your shows. I mean, everybody who's built something, it actually took years and years and years for it to take off. So same story with us. Yeah, I was reading something about Notion this morning and you know they just raised like 50 million dollars hmm. and you know I, I didn't realize they'd been around for like seven years i know isn't that bonkers <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. And now it's like, oh yeah, overnight success. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, so you rebrand and then, and then sort of tell me about like, how long was that sort of strategy about, okay, we've got this blog, we're doing content marketing and did that just keep working and it was just a matter of doubling down on that? Or did you guys have to start trying to look at new channels to, to grow the business? Yeah. So we just relied on word of mouth for a long time. And we eventually started spending on YouTube and pay-per-click. I've got to be blunt. I don't think that we really got good at pay-per-click and you know aggressive performance marketing until we hired our current director of marketing, Bo Jacober. So I think now we're really good at it, but you know, gosh, it's, and this is one of my, I think, regrets is not hiring the right person sooner on this. But now we've got our CPAs locked down. We've got a really good machine in place now. And, and thankfully, we're growing like bananas. I mean, uh, we've never seen Treehouse growing this fast before. What, you mean this, like, in the recent months or the last year or two? This year. Yeah, 2020 has just been like a rocket ship. It's great. Wow, what do you think is driving that growth? Focus. <laughs> Focus and hiring the right people, honestly. I think that's it. I've tried a couple different strategies, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. But it turns out that we've built one of the world's best online learning experiences. You know, we have an MPS that's just off the charts, and we really just need to focus on it. And so we're doing that, and it's really, really fun to see. So let's talk a little bit about that that Net Promoter Score. So what do you think you guys are doing to kind of create that sort of positive response from customers? So it's pretty straightforward, actually. We have a strategy that is completely vertically integrated. So we do everything from you know, building the platform from scratch. We don't use some off-the-shelf CMS. We hire full-time teachers. We have our own studio, our own video production team. We have our own cloud-based development environment called Workspaces. We have a very editorialized, linear take on our learning that you should learn things in a certain order. And we continually update and refresh our content. So I think it's just the maniacal attention to quality that is causing that to happen. You know, some of our competitors like Udemy have literally the opposite approach. And they're big and they're growing fast. So that's fine. Different strategies do different things. But I would much rather have less content that's high quality, that is effective than more content of lower quality that's ineffective. That's why we're, we're getting those scores and we'll continue uh, with that strategy. I, I also just think it's the right thing to do. I don't really think it's a good idea to empower you know anyone to teach anything they want online and then sell it, whether it's good or not. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different experience to something like Udemy, where anybody can, you know, upload a course. Yep. The one thing I'm kind of curious about is when you started out and launched Think Vitamin or, you know, Treehouse, the early days, a lot of these competitors weren't around or the market wasn't as crowded as it is today. Mm. How do you think about competition 
Well, let me put it another way. How did you think about competition in the first few years and, and, and how has that changed as that, the, the marketplace has got more crowded out there? Well, there was no competition at the beginning except for lynda.com. So then we saw Pluralsight, Codecademy pop up as the primary competitors, codeschool.com, which then got bought by Pluralsight. And, you know, it's gotten more crowded, but our business is growing faster than ever now. And I think it speaks to our strategy that quality matters over quantity and endurance is more important than uh, rocket ship growth. You know, some of our competitors like a Udacity raised $150 million on a billion dollar valuation. And now they're being hamstrung by that. You know, there's no way they're worth a billion dollars because they weren't worth a billion dollars in the first place. And now, you know, they're going to run out of cash, you know, unless they catch up to that valuation. So we've, we've just been a very methodical, long-term focused company. You don't want to give props to Codecademy and Zach, um, the CEO over there. He has a similar approach. You know, it's just long-term minded, not flashy, not raising, you know, money at, you know, billion dollar valuations. But I, I think the truth is, you know, especially with the world shifting to online learning now, uh, almost completely, I think that there is a huge potential for Treehouse and other companies. You know, I don't think it's a winner-take-all approach. Um, we're just going to be a very specialized, very high-quality, very effective school that continues to grow and be sustainably profitable. And over the years, like, have you spent a lot of time looking at what competitors are doing to to help you sort of think about where to go with Treehouse as a business or as a product. And the reason I ask that is because there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of founders who that's a challenge, right? I mean, it's easy to see what your competitors are doing externally anyway. And then, you know, you can see all your warts and everything that you don't do well internally. And it always feels like an unfair comparison. Yeah. You know, I thankfully have never been terribly distracted by my competitors. I'm human like any other person. And uh, of course, you know, I may see some flashy features or some new product development coming out of my competitors, but I may get distracted for a little bit. But we've, I've been pretty focused and I use my own product. So I'm a, I'm a student on Treehouse and, you know, I regularly file bug reports and, and give the team feedback. So, Thankfully, I've been able to stay focused and um, kind of just care mostly about our students versus what our competitors are doing. Because you just don't know what's going on inside your competitors, right? You don't understand what's happening with their cash flow, with their strategy, with their culture. And it's best just to ignore it as best you can. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. Uh, It reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, J.D. Trask, who's the, the founder of Raygun. Oh, right. And 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 he was going through sort of a similar thing where you know he was kind of struggling comparing himself to what competitors were doing and i think it was his wife who said like don't compare your insides with other people's outsides <laughs> yes that's such a good way to put it yeah, yeah great advice i love that so so things are going well and and you're growing even faster than ever before but when you look back at the last, you know, six, seven years, what do you wish you had done differently? 
Um, the main thing is I wish we would have shifted to project-based learning faster. So we have two wonderful products. One is only $25 a month. You get access to the entire library. You get access to our tracks of learning. And then the other product is called the Tech Degree, and that's $200 a month. And we've added projects, and those projects are graded, and you get feedback, and you also get access to a Slack channel and a certificate at the end. Both of them are wonderful, and they serve different needs, and they're both important. But I wish we would have decided to do project-based learning earlier. We launched the Tech Degree in 2016. So, you know, we were six years into the business. I wish we would have done it, you know, year two. But hindsight's twenty twenty, so now they're both growing, you know, tremendously fast. Those products and and they both serve important needs. You know, some folks just can't afford the two hundred dollars a month, or don't have a specific outcome they want. They just want to take a course or two. So that's one uh, thing I learned. I wish we would have done differently. But what is it about the project based learning that that sort of makes you feel like you wish you'd done that sooner? It's number one, the, the product is very effective. I mean, it, it's really the best way to learn. The truth is it costs us money to you know, deliver those projects, to grade those projects, to support people in Slack. So it just, it's more expensive. So we have to charge more money. So not everybody can afford it. But it, it really is you know, the best example of competency-based learning that you can possibly get to, you know, practical real world application of a learned concept. So one thing that also makes us different, I should have pointed out, is that we built our curriculum and our platform based off of science, the science of learning, and the most cutting edge, most effective learning methodology is competency-based learning or competency-based education, you know, where you map competencies to learning objectives, to cognitive levels, and then you assess on that. So that's all built into our platform. But the third level of cognition is is practical application. And you can't measure that um, or assess that unless people are doing real-world projects. So uh, that's what we do in, in that project-based learning. Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to create quality content and to teach people, but it's... I, I can just see that opening up a whole can of worms when you say not only you're kind of grading and supporting people. It's like, hey, you know, my code doesn't work, right? And it's like, how much effort needs to go into, you know, solving those kinds of problems? So teaching people does not mean solving all their problems. It means teaching them how to solve their own problems. So our support in Slack is mostly pointing people to resources to solve their own problems versus, you know, hey, here's uh, how to fix your code. And when we grade projects, we give people specific feedback, which is a little more pointed, but you can't submit your project if, if it's broken. And so you have to get your project to a certain level before you can even submit it. So, Got it. Okay, great. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about like the business and and the team and, and how is that sort of, how's your role changed as the team has grown? Like, you know, you as a founder, I mean, it's interesting. You just, you kind of just said, Hey, you're still kind of still roll your sleeves up and, and you're kind of, you know, using the product and, and logging bugs and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, you know, what does your sort of typical day look like? You know, the biggest thing I've learned that I want to encourage all of your listeners to, to think about is building trust. So 
One of the most important books I've read as a business leader and manager is called The Speed of Trust by Franklin Covey. And it just really explains why trust is so important in an organization and in a relationship and how to build it, how to fix it. And we rolled out the speed of trust across Treehouse, I think it was about two years ago. And it just transformed me as a manager, transformed the company. And I would say, you know, day to day, my job is to manage people, you know, to support people, to lead the strategy, make sure we have money in the bank you know, manage the board and communicate with them. But a lot of this is day-to-day, you know, having one-on-ones with my direct team and building trust with them. The secret is that trust is a hidden multiplier. So, you know, your output will be determined by the amount of trust in your organization. And if you have trust with someone, it multiplies output tremendously. And it also just increases happiness at work. So I think a lot of that is, instilling that culture into the company, measuring that, training people on that. You know, we really lean in pretty hard on on building a healthy company culture at Treehouse that's inclusive, that is diverse, and uh, is equitable. So is that something that you sort of came naturally to you, or is that something that once you read that book? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't understand any of this stuff until I, I really got trained on it. So I really learned a lot and I'm a, a much better manager now. I, I really feel like I know what I'm doing now. You know, that I think any CEO that is a entrepreneurial CEO founder, you know, kind of learns how to do this job on the job. And I'm really finally in a place now where I feel like I'm good at this job. I know how to be a great manager. I feel really confident in what I do. And it's just wonderful. It's taken, you know, a decade to get there but it's, it's nice being there. But that's because I've, I've trained on things, I've learned, I have a CEO coach that's really helped me a lot. So I'd recommend any CEOs or founders listening, you've got to go get trained, you've got to get help. It, it'll really increase your effectiveness. And uh, finally, do you miss England? Because you're in Portland now, right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So I'm American, my wife is British, and there's parts of Britain I really miss. You know, I miss the history and the beauty and, and I miss the subtlety of people and I miss being close to Europe. So I miss all those things. I found the UK to be stifling as an entrepreneur. I just, it feels like nobody wants you to, to kind of win, that you should kind of stick to your knitting, (laughs) which was hard, you know, and I know that people don't really mean that, but it, you know, it just kind of beats you down a little bit more. And as an entrepreneur, you, I think you have enough people beating you down um, to, you know, to, to deal with without that. So I don't miss that part, but um, I do miss other, other parts tremendously. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I'm not that far from you because I'm up in, Seattle, in the Seattle area, um, but I think I must have left, I grew up in London and I must have left around the time when you started doing the life training because I moved here around 2004. Oh, right. Yep. So I must, yeah, must have missed those, but maybe, yeah, otherwise maybe I would have been one of the people turning up to one of those classes. (laughs) Who knows? All right, great. Let's uh, wrap up and move on to the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Okay. You ready? Let's go. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Build trust. (laughs) (laughs) What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Speed of Trust. <laughs> for, that, <laughs> for, that very, for that very reason, yes. 
<laughs> What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Endurance, hands down. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I love Asana. And every morning I get up and I'm very focused about my to-dos. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I have no time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I cannot think about anything else. I'm sorry. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I'm an Eagle Scout uh, from the Boy Scouts. Wow. Are, those, are they still around? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, <laughs> they're still around. <laughs> And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I'm falling in love with Dungeons and Dragons. I'm, I'm a dungeon master for my kids now, so it's a lot of fun. How old are your kids? Kids are 12 and 9. And uh, how long did it take you? Because we, we've got the same thing going on here. Like my son is like seriously into it. He's 14 and he started being a dungeon master at a club at school. And I've been trying to get into it, but uh, I'm kind of failing hopelessly on it it's fun it, yeah it is hard to get into i think someone needs to create a school for dungeon masters actually <laughs> maybe i'll do that next <laughs> but i think what i love about it is that in many ways it's just about especially playing the game or, or being a dungeon master it's about you're really becoming a storyteller mm. and you're using your imagination and you're able to do that without having to use screens and technology, which I think in this day and age is like a beautiful thing. Yes, love that. <laughs> cool. Okay, great. So now if people want to find out more about Treehouse, they can go to teamtreehouse.com. Correct. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just send me an email, ryan at teamtreehouse.com or follow me on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. It's just Ryan Carson. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm delighted we were able to actually record the interview this time. <laughs> and and as I said, it's been a long time uh, coming. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, you know, I had the chance to sit down with you and, and finally have this conversation. And I wish you and you know, your family and, and your team, all the best of success. Thank you so much. It was a blast to be on the show. Appreciate it and take care. Awesome. Thank you.